Welcome to the Hobcast, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime, and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of building a new creative business in this pandemic world. We'll hear from the people who make all this possible, the authors, cover designers, and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast from Hobeck Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. Hello, and welcome to the Hopcast Book Show. It is episode 83. It is indeed episode 83. And if you're only just joining us at episode 83, what have you missed? Well, you've missed... Loads! Yeah, it's just tons. But some of the greatest authors on the planet have been part of this show. And they've missed us. They have. Yeah, well, okay, we're just the... The, 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 the we're flim the, flam. We're, we're, no, we're the bread in the sandwich. The real, the real juice, let's be honest, is the interviews. Can we be homemade crusty? If you want. I mean, I haven't managed to succeed to make crusty in a gluten-free bread Not yet. Not quite, yeah, no. no. Okay, well, we're digressing already. Let me explain who we are, or us explain who we are. My name is Adrian Hobart. And my name is Rebecca Collins. Together we run... Hobeck Books, and we are UK independent publishers, of the following four genres. Mystery. Crime. Thrillers. And suspense. And we've been going. Ages. Over, uh, well, yeah, I mean, we've been publishing for two years this month, when we first published Robert Dawes. Yes. Um, and in that time, we have attracted no less than 22 authors. We have now released 52 books. Did you count? Yeah, I did. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> I did it only this week, actually. <laughs> uh, I was in conversation with Anthony Dunford, and I uh, I figured it out. In fact, between us, we did it. I mean, I can't claim to have the, the, the maths to be able to put it together, but we well, did it together. you can't claim to have the maths to count? No. <laughs> it's an issue. It's an issue. I am... Uh, I can't remember what the name is for numerical dyslexia, but it, it's pretty much me. Um I, I personify it. So, and I, I think I have a form of dyslexia to do with following instructions and directions because there is a form of dyslexia. Is there really? Yes. Is that why it explains why you always get lost whenever you go to Telford? Yeah, it's it's a form of dyslexia. Yeah, I mean, admittedly, Telford much looks much the same wherever you are, and the only th- landmarks to to work with are a roundabout with a bunch of field guns. Oh, the, the gun roundabout. The yeah, the gun roundabout near Donington Barracks, uh, the ASDA. On the oh, outskirts. Which is really difficult. Oh, there's two Asdas. There's one right in the yeah, centre. Yeah, just to make life very confusing. <laughs> I don't know why we're talking about Telford. Anyway, Telford is not that far from where we are based at Hobeck Books and Hobeck Towers. and It's, it's a black hole. A little bit, yeah. I mean, I actually sent you a text message, didn't I, recently? And I said, I can't escape Telford. I tried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's difficult. And, you know, geographically, they have a very big feature nearby called the Rekin, which is a big lump of... Um, Hill. And there is actually a local saying mm-hmm. to go round the Reekin. Do you know what that means? If I said to you, oh, you're going round the Reekin again. You're going mad? No. Oh, he doesn't know. You're going a bit Bodmin? No, you just, a bit like what we do on this podcast, talking about all sorts of stuff without actually getting to the okay. nuts and bolts. Right, we're doing a good job of that. <laughs> I, I did start, start this week by saying to, to Rebecca and, and, you know, basically t- reminding myself that we want to get this program into a format that is less than an hour. But somehow we always fail to do so. Uh, and we've had another really big interview this week. Well, I mean, lengthy, I should say, with April Doyle, uh, who's, who's our guest. And she has recently had success with her novel Hive, which is a speculative fiction novel. We'll talk more about what that's all about later. And it was shortlisted for the Extra Novel Prize. So it was a really good interview. Lovely. And April persuaded you to buy a book. Yeah, she did. And in fact, it's down there. It's down there, yeah. Christopher Vergler's The Writer's Journey. Yeah. So it, it's it looks a quite a weighty tome, doesn't it? <laughs> tome? Is that the word? Tome. 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 <laughs> no, I've been saying tome all my life. Oh, my goodness. Right. No, it's a tome. Uh, anyway, it, it's, a, it's a whopper. Um, yeah. It, 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 yeah. I look forward to uh, you know, skimming it. Well, I, I see it's strategically placed next to the pink chair. Now, the pink chair, for people who don't know about our pink chair, is the chair that whoever's watching TV or playing on the Xbox, they sit in because it's right in front of the TV. Mm-hmm. And so this afternoon, you've got some sport to watch, haven't you? 
I do. I have a Grand Prix to watch and I have a Man United's last pre-season game. So I'd like to see you dipping in and out of the writer's journey during the boring bits of the sport. <laughs> Pretty much all of it, I should think. <laughs> Anyway, we'll 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 hold out hope that uh, well, it's George Russell on pole position for the first time in his career. That's, How about Pogba? He doesn't play for Man United anymore. We don't talk about him anymore. Oh, no, so racing? Yes, yes. Yeah, George Russell. He's one of the. Announced. I'd love to see Pogba on the front row of a grid and Max see what Stafford. see what he does with the with a car. I want Max Perhaps Verstappen he wraps it around to win. a lamppost. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I know you want Max. He's he's uh, tenth on the, on the grid, which is a disaster for him. So, uh, anyway, we digress as ever. Uh, we'll get into some news. First of all, I want to congratulate. I think we should congratulate um, uh, A. B. Morgan, Alison Morgan, on the release of her third Quirks story. Yes. Yeah, so novel. last week on Tuesday, um, the third. Installment in the Quirk Adventures. Quirk Files, actually, Quirk what we Files. call it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and it's had a lot of love. It's it's been really good, actually. She was on a blog tour, mm-hmm. and but not just the blog tour. I've had lots of people say, "Oh, wonderful, another Quirk book." As you know, I love the other two, and also people who've come to it fresh, saying, "Right, I've just bought the other two now because I loved it so much." They've gone back and yeah, yeah. No, it's been terrific. So Verity Vanishes is the third of the Quirk Files. And it it is a it's a a mix of dark humour, a little bit cosy, a beautiful relationship between Pedder and Connie Quirk, who are private investigators. Uh, and it, they are great books. And, and there's a cat in it. Yep, and they're all available on audio, all a bit audible uh, as usual, taking their time to get their act together and publish the thing. But um, you know, we we we. Well, we'll give them six months. That usually, usually happens before then. Uh, but congratulations. And you had a little launch, Ali, I know. Uh, at, at the your, local. Uh, which uh, I always snigger whenever I say the name of the pub because it's called The Cock. And, um, yeah, that looked good. And yep. and actually, last week we gave away 10 free audio uh, downloads, didn't we, of Verity Vanishes? Yeah. So we are going to do another giveaway for A.B. Morgan. We're going to do Throttled. Okay, well, but, it's the second in the series, yeah. But later on in this podcast. Okay, so listen out for that. We've got some giveaway codes. Uh, I know that we'll, we'll do that after we've spoken to April. Let's get into a little bit of news, which is uh, the, the stuff that's pertinent to our end of the or, you know, the publishing industry in wider sense, because, you know, we don't work in, um, in a sort of vacuum. Um, but uh, <laughs> feels um, like it sometimes. It, well, it does feel a bit like that. But I mean, there was one one story that that has affected us directly in terms of business uh, that you've got there, and this is the story: uh, the UK's number one book chain, Waterstones, yes, changed their warehousing and computer systems um, quite recently. Yes, and so it's caused havoc. So basically, it's a warehouse management system. So basically, how they uh, uh, coordinate the warehousing and distribution um and it's just had lots of teething problems and it's caused a certain amount of chaos as you say uh we we had a little bit of an issue it was um Brian Price's books getting into his local waterstones they ordered them heard nothing for ages and uh, eventually they did get the books um, but this is, is this quite a long article, actually. There's a lot of people quite upset about this, authors yeah. and publishers. So yeah. apparently one indie publisher uh, said they had, they've had they had huge problems. It's not us. Uh, in fact, one of their authors went to the Theakston's Old Peculiar Crime Writing Festival, yeah. hoping that while they were there, they could go to a load of the local shops to sign yeah. their new book. But they couldn't because even though the book had published, it wasn't in any of the Waterstones. Not because they hadn't wanted to stock it, they just hadn't got the stock. No, no. I mean, basically, the supply chain has broken down and it's affected a lot of publishers, not just ourselves in a, in a very small way, but some of the biggest publishers are moaning about it. So, yeah, I mean, how many times do we hear this about changes to computer systems bringing problems? They It never goes smoothly, does it? I think it's it, one of the major problems with anything like this is these things are done too quickly. Yeah. And so if if something is done too quickly, they haven't considered all the possibilities of what could go wrong. Mm. When something goes wrong, they can't cope with it because yeah. they haven't thought about what... Yeah. Well, uh, we and ourselves had... Uh, no, this is not nothing to do with Waterstones, but uh, even with the launch of Verity Vanishes, we had our usual thing. I mean, one in three books that we've published through Amazon have had problems with... 
the paperbacks. It feels like recently. More more than we used to, yeah. Yes. So it was basically they, where they challenge whether we have the rights. I don't know. Something in their system crops up a duplication. I think it might be because um, Alison has books published. Yeah, by other publishers, yeah. So, because it does seem to happen with any of our authors who are either self-published or have books published yeah. elsewhere. So it did happen, inevitably. And, um, and it I, happens right on the eve of publication, oh, yeah. you know, literally, oh, actually on the day of publication. So it's saying it's out of stock. So we had, well, you had a probably 48-hour period of trying to... F- get this straightened out maybe even 72 hours i don't part know part of the problem was that um uh, we had photographs of the documentation we needed to prove it but um the reply came back saying your photographs are not good enough quality please resend yeah, yeah. so you know and these things take time because mm. there's time between each reply from... well each time we've managed to resolve the situation but uh, I'm, I also, I mean, someone who's been work, you know, worked with us in the past, uh, Matt Holmes, um, who uh, you've had on the, we've had on the podcast talking about Amazon ads and, and advertising in general. His wife's latest book had two and a half thousand pre-orders, which is an amazing number, fantastic. Would have probably taken it straight to the top of the ch- whichever chart, but Amazon cancelled the pre-order, and all of those orders were lost. Now that did happen. Minute. That did happen to us once. Yes, it happens to us once. But yeah. luckily, it wasn't quite that sort of number. No, no, because it's quite early on in our yeah. publishing career. But, you know, but... the, these are the, the the trip hazards that that lie in wait for for all publishers, but for small independent publishers or self publishers, you know, it can be catastrophic. Let's be honest. That's a lot of work's could probably gone into getting that number of pre orders, which is a fantastic achievement. Um, but, it happened to someone like Simon McCleave as well, didn't yes, it? Yes, it did. Yeah. Yes, it did. Yeah, yeah, quite recently. And uh, again, very costly. I mean, just think of the revenue that that would generate. Two and a half thousand pre-orders. I think the worst thing, I mean, the worst thing, though, is the embarrassment because yes. hopefully the customers will still order But how it. do you reach them all? No, you don't know. Am- you... Amazon emails everybody. Oh, really? Yeah, and well. it says your order's been cancelled. But it's the embarrassment. Yeah. Oh, it's that's that's dreadful. Anyway, let's get off that subject of supply. Um, so Waterstones tr- still trying to work through their their snags. Uh, this is an, one that that caught my eye and caught well both our eyes really uh, about the growth of of union membership in British publishing. Now, uh, the <coughs> excuse me, the staff of Harper Collins in the US are going on strike because of um, cost of living issues and and lack you know and 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 the sort of pay increases they've had recently uh or not and um there is a a report in the bookseller that's talking about how a number of publishers have finally started to recognize union membership within their workforce Mm. and this has been a long set of negotiations so the, the 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 unions involved are the nuj the national union of journalists and unite who are, um, you know, one of the biggest, in fact, they are the biggest, uh, I believe, of all the unions covering many, many industries. Uh, and gradually, membership has grown. And I think, that, you know, this is this is an interesting phenomenon because, look, being a member of the NUJ is not cheap. I used to be one. And it's, um, it's the, the, you know, the, even the lowest rate, it's a, it's a good wedge of money. I mean, it's 25 quid a month or something like that. And... Um, so that would suggest to me that given the numbers that have, have joined from the publishing industry, that there really is a problem. I mean, yes. publishing has always been uh, for many of the entry-level jobs and the, the sort of uh, even the ones for professionals who've been in the business maybe five or ten years, the pay has been terrible. Yeah, I wasn't paid masses when I was there, when no. I worked full-time. No, and indeed freelancers, uh, again, a similar problem. So uh, there, there is clearly a mood-changing uh, but I, I, I have a word of caution. I mean, I, I am, I'm not anti-unions at all. But I would say my experience with the NUJ was not positive when I needed help. Um, it was just brushed away, you know, saying, "Well, you know, we've got other priorities." And and when it's an individual, you're paying your subs. You've been a member for a decade or whatever it was that I'd been a member. You don't expect to just get brushed off when you know you're facing a career, you know, well. I mean, in my case, the end of my broadcasting career. And, you know, and I felt unjustly. And so, you know, but I got no representation whatsoever when it boiled down to it. So, uh, you know, I I think that 
the principle of unions on the on a macro level works. Yes, I was about to say that's a macro thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but when it comes down to individual stuff and, and, and disputes, I mean, there are lots of them within the BBC. There are just hundreds of them going on, and they're just choosing to fight the ones which fit their political spectrum. And I was Is a man. It? Yes, absolutely, 100%. You know, they're picking and choosing. And that shouldn't be the case with a union, I don't think. I mean, if you know, if you've got a member who's got a problem, they should sort help you to sort it out. It could be a resources thing though. If you said there were loads of them loads Well, of... yeah, there is an element of that, but I think there's also a political choice. You know, what what basically they'll fight the ones which make the point they're trying to make, in a wider sense. That's oh, what I mean. Rather yeah. than the actual so uh, yeah, I, I would say I was I was disappointed. But it, there is a there's a lot of growth. Um for instance the NUJ said there were 25 Bloomsbury members a year ago, and now 70 are members of, from Bloomsbury's, um, which is, you know, it's interesting. That is quite significant, actually, because Bloomsbury may seem like a really big company, but it isn't. I've been to the offices. It's not as big as you'd think it no, is. No, I mean, it's a big name, um, but they have just launched a new company-wide bonus scheme of 6% of annual salary, which was added to employees' June salary. Combined with an annual pay rise of 5%. Um, so, okay, that's a one-off, the 6% one. But, I mean, that's not that's not insignificant. No, no, I mean, I think Bloomsbury are actually very clever because I think they do try and keep on top of things that could happen. Yeah. And they've always done that, and I think that's the secret of their success in many mm. ways. True. And, and the final story we want to touch on in this section of the show uh, is to do with Meta. That is to say... Metadata or metaphysics? No, no, meta, the, the the parent company of Facebook, Instagram, and, you know, all those sort of um, platforms. Hey. And uh, we're basically talking about Facebook. And they have uh, reported, again, a big drop in revenue because people are moving away from advertising on Facebook adver- adverts because uh, subscriber numbers have dropped again, mm. which is a, still got 3.6 billion people <laughs> half the po- world's population are on facebook so it's not the end of the world uh, the biggest problem they've got in terms of their profits falling is that they've spent an absolute fortune trying to create something called the metaverse where they are trying to combine all of their platforms and then take it to another level where everyone sort of exists in the metaverse i mean goodness i mean basically it's a very ill-defined uh, an unexplained thing they're trying to do and it's costing them a lot of money but uh, nonetheless the market has reacted to say you know the skids are under under these platforms at the moment you know the advertisers are pulling their spend out and you know we've said this for several months now from our perspective the impact and value that facebook ads now offer is very low it's 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 very sporadic in yes. our experience it's very hard to predict um it's got you know it used to be you know almost you know you could put some some systematic thinking behind it and it would work mm. but now it's very patchy but you know it's still an important plank but we are focusing more on amazon as it, as it, as it stands and yes Made that transition yeah. yeah so um you know interesting times ahead because but the magic bubble of facebook and meta and mark zuckerberg is slipping and, and and another big pressure for them, there are two other things that we've mentioned before plenty of times, is the fact that more and more platforms like Google, like Apple, um, are withdrawing or giving uh, users more options to withhold their data. And that is what Facebook relies on, is being able to see what you're up to, what you're thinking about, what you're doing. And they still, of course, you know, you've all seen this if you're on Facebook, adverts popping up because you had a conversation with somebody about such and such and suddenly an advert for it. It happens to me all the time. Yeah, which I was sounds... talking about wetsuits with my sister. <laughs> yeah. And seriously. As you do. And then <laughs> and an advert did pop up not that long after. Yeah. Well, I mean, there you go. I mean, we are being monitored. I mean, everything we do online is being monitored. But increasingly, you can opt out of things. And this is a big problem for, for Facebook. So that's one thing. And then there's the growing movement across the world to regulate these digital social media platforms more heavily and you know when it boils down to it no one's really had the courage to do it yet at a governmental level they're all talking a good game it will happen eventually but no one's had the courage yet to to do it um and as we mentioned last week you know uh or a week before that perhaps um 
you know, it's a little galling that some of these companies that are making billions are hardly paying any tax in the com- countries where they're making the money. That is a big hump. It is a big hump. Uh, less of a hump is our interview with April. If we can get to that now. Yeah, we can. I you think can. so. Okay, I think give, me the nod. give me the nod. Good. Give him the nod. <laughs> well, April Doyle uh, is uh, a very experienced creative writing teacher. She's based in Kent. Uh, but her first published novel, Hive, has has come out to great acclaim. It is um, speculative fiction in the sense that it's looking to a world in the not-too-distant future where bees and pollinators in general have declined to such an extent that the world's facing a crisis. So we do talk about bees quite a lot. We do. We do talk about bees. There's a real buzz around this interview. Bzz. <laughs> You're supposed to go ka-dunch. That was a terrible joke. Um, April was also uh, shortlisted for uh, with this book, Hive, uh, for the Exeter Novel Prize, which is extremely prestigious. Uh, so congratulations to her. But it's a really good interview talking about, you know, not just what inspired her behind this book, but the craft, because she has helped so many people uh, in a, a creative writing sense and other other authors and so there's a lot of thought here and uh, we had a great time so this is april doyle april doyle thank you so much for joining us on the hopcast book show thank you so much for having me we've got so much we want to ask you uh, but first of all let's let's put you in context in terms of your your book to date hive tell us about the, the thinking behind that we love speculative fiction but uh, boy it can be dark at times so your <laughs> your um, your book is is based on the presumption that that bees are disappearing fast yes yeah well bees and pollinators generally which is actually happening which makes this even more scary yeah (laughs) so it's it's a it's a near future imagining of what might happen if the bees and pollinators continue to decline um you know the knock-on effects that's going to have for food and um society um and it it focuses on a, a quite a disparate group of characters who have to work together to to make it to make it work to help them to survive and it's it's focusing on quite a small area I've set it here in Kent yeah so it's a, it's a smallish group of characters all based in Kent um, who have to try and find a solution to to this terrible problem of, of no pollinators and there are other elements as well. I don't want to give any spoilers, but there are other um, sort of elements that work against them as you, as we move through the book. Absolutely. What a great yeah. place to set it. I mean, in the sense it's your home county, but um, Kent, the Garden of England, for those who don't oh, that's know. that's right. I have a question because um, there was somebody posed a question on, I don't know if you're aware of the, well, you, you might not be aware. There's a, a Facebook group called the UK Crime Book Club. So this is basically fans of crime fiction and it's quite a big group. Mm-hmm. Somebody put the question on there the other day saying, how important is it that the author's been to the place where they set their book? And I just want to know whether you, how you feel about that, because you've obviously set your book, even though it's sort of near future, it's not quite as things are now, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, you know the area because you live there. So was that important to you to set it somewhere you could feel and sense yourself? Mm-hmm. I mean, interestingly, I didn't originally. The first draft wasn't set in Kent. It was set on. It was set on the west coast of America, in California, which is where the commercial bee farmers um, predominantly work. They they set off with huge, huge lorry loads of beehives, and they set them out. They start in the almond orchards, and then they work as the season progresses. They work their way gradually east across the United States, with the bees pollinating the crops, and they sort of work across. And that was much more of a, a kind of big budget thriller, you know, with the FBI. And it was it was quite a broad story. And I, I, I loved it, actually. But I spoke to someone who suggested that mine, if it was just kind of scaled down a little bit, would get more of the characters working together. It would be more intimate. We'd see that struggle. And also the relationship with the bees could be closer and more intimate. And I think I think that really worked. I think it made a stronger book. So. I haven't started answering your question yet. So, yeah, so I, I, I did that. And let's see, I think all the other books I've written have been set in places where I've lived or worked or visited on holiday before. But, I mean, what if you wanted to set a book on Mars or something? I, I don't think you should be limited by having visited the places that you have been. And I think with Google these days, it's so easy to, you know, virtually visit places. 
and to research different climates and and cultures and i yeah i, I don't think that should be a limit no I, I i would agree with you and i think there were a lot of lockdown writers um you know famous authors who were relying on google research because they couldn't get out and mm. i'm thinking of robert harris um with v2 was written during lockdown and, and that was all sort of uh, internet research and book research as opposed to actually being physically in the the launch sites for v2 rockets and that sort of thing so mm. but i think that there's no less legitimacy in my book for doing it the way that one would do it you know in terms of nowadays at least no I'm, I, I, I agree to some extent and somebody actually commented and said well my books are urban fantasy so the place is in my head does that oh absolutely yeah. and I said well it's, it's a real place to you it's in your imagination so it's as real as visiting the town a real town that you're writing about yeah so oh that's that's a really good point actually yes if your imagination is vivid enough to make it real to you then you should be able to make it real to other people yeah, and I think that, you know, even if you are dealing with a real place that you know, I mean, you, you can still, as an author, you still have a big challenge trying to decide which details you need to include, mm. uh, what aspects. I mean, you know, quite a few writers will do the visual thing. In fact, pr- probably all of us concentrate on the visual. That's, uh, and the, the ones that, that really stand out are the ones who can make the place smell a certain thing and you know bring get your saliva going uh <laughs> you know or your heart racing or your skin prickling because of the heat and all that sort of stuff I mean I think that those the really gifted authors can do all of that without mm-hmm. perhaps ladling on too much description so it's um there's there's an art to it I, I'm very interested in what you the, the point you made about um the relationship with bees now that strikes me as something you know whenever I see a bee I sort of have a, I have a t- we saw some yesterday I know up, yeah we played tennis yesterday there were, there were bumble- I don't know <laughs> with bees technically types of bees they were but they, they were, were definitely bumblebees they, they were bumblebees yeah. sleepy bees because mm. they were on the ground right but you know there I am with this sort of twin feeling towards them first of all I, I get the message about the importance of bees and pollinators um, and so I have an empathy for them but at the same time I'm thinking I don't want to a tread on one a to kill one but b uh, please don't sting me so (laughs) there is this this twin they appeal to me but at the same time i'm wary of them what about how your characters interact with bees yes well the two the two main characters one of them is a research entomologist so she her life revolves around bees and they're sort of her subjects but she feels more deeply for them than that she watches them every day really her life is her bees and so she's very closely connected with them and then Victor who's the commercial bee farmer has a much more he has a more emotional response to them I think he's he's more naturally drawn to them and has Mm. a more natural affinity with them so they're not it's not it's not a science project for him it's it's his life but his wife strangely doesn't like bees she doesn't like the crawling and the the kind of unpredictable nature of them she's supportive but she's not keen (laughs) Um, and then there's another character. He is very keen on ecology in all in all its forms. He's a presenter. He writes there are there are chapters of his throughout the book talking right. about bees and the books he's written and the the worldwide travel that he's done all over the place, looking at different bees in different places. So I think he's more interested in them from a again from a science from a purely scientific point of view, whereas the others seem to have more of an emotional connection. Yeah. Well, that's quite an interesting contrast, isn't it? I mean, you get that in all sorts of aspects of life, don't you? The sort of very logical, scientific view and then mm. the emotional view. And as people do tend to think that the scientific one is more valid than the emotional one. Well, Victor, the, the bee farmer, he is really in tune with his bees. He talks to them. And I think a lot of beekeepers talk to their bees. That's something that, you know, throughout the generations, people talk to their bees. And I think you're supposed to tell your bees if someone dies in the family and things like that you're supposed to keep them informed of what's going on and he's a little bit like that he he talks to them it's 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 a fascinating subject um, the question that's burning in my mind at the moment and this is a bit flippant i'm sorry but okay. bees get a bad rap and i have to blame michael kane for giving them <laughs> a bad rap 
uh, you have to you have to give bees a bad rap as Michael Caine. Okay, well, I mean, everyone knows the swarm. It's his worst movie. It's the one. It's the one where he made. You know, he he always says, well, "I made it because it bought my mother a house or something like that." Yeah, I think he was or it paid the school fees or something. Mm. Like that. <laughs> There's a scene where he basically says, it's in the trailer if you look it up on YouTube, but he goes, it's the bees, it's the bloody bees or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Get inside and, and all that stuff. And, yeah. um, and he's kind of a split character because he's got that sort of, uh, yeah, he's got to try and defend humanity against this swarm of killer African bees. But, but I think it's the swarm aspect, but isn't he's it? He's also sympathetic. He's a scientist. He appreciates their importance, but you know. I think as humans, we fear anything that swarms. Yeah, we do. Because we think it's a threat. Yes, well, it's a perfectly natural instinct. And also, we know they can sting us and they can cause us pain. So I think it's perfectly natural and normal to be a bit wary about bees and wasps and other stinging things. Yeah. Now, in terms of your your writing career, um, you're a creative writing teacher. Yes, I'm, I'm a sort of part-time freelance creative writing teacher I did write for uh, sorry I did teach for a um, adult education project which sadly closed down but my writer said that they wanted to sort of carry on with me so we've we've picked up and carried on um, yeah my, my proper day job is is office work but um that that's what pays the bills but my love is the writing that's fantastic <laughs> I yeah. think so many writers live a life like that they don't they yeah, have yeah. the day job and then the passion that they yes. do when they can so yeah but, they, but the, the the question that rises in my mind is that i mean we've we've talked to lee russell who was also doing some creative writing teaching alongside the, the authorial career mm. um it, it it i always feel uh this is probably why i've chickened out doing it but if you are teaching um at the same time you're writing books there is a certain you can talk the talk but can you walk the walk is did you ever get that sort of feeling about you know how my pupils going to perceive my writing when i finish book I don't know if I've ever, I don't know if I've ever really worried about that, but I have on, on occasions when I've been feeling disheartened about writing and things mm. about maybe, you know, is this something I really want to carry on with? This is, this is difficult. This is a difficult road I'm on here. I have thought then how does that translate to being a creative writing teacher, which I do desperately want to carry on with, yeah. you know, and I sort of feel like I do have to keep on walking the walk in some capacity you know and so that's that's something that helps me to keep going if I am having a a dark moment you know I just really want to carry on with the writing and the practice of it because yes how can I really how can I really teach if I'm not trying to do it myself I think that's that's very true because um, when I, I did a master's in um fine art and all the lecturers were practicing artists as well mm. so and you did get that feeling of you know they do it themselves they know what it's like they have it might be very different to what I was doing but they mm. it sort of gives them that weight behind what they're teaching knowing yeah. that they yeah, do it themselves and 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 also the writing feeds into the teaching and the teaching feeds into the writing there are all kinds of things that I have researched you know read up on prepared for for creative writing lessons that's opened my eyes to to the craft of writing hugely and and it sort of keeps me on my toes in terms of keeping up with um you know the current the arguments that the writers have with each other online and you know discussions about is is creative writing a valid discipline is you know is that something that can be taught or do you know how to do it instinctively or you know there's there's lots of things that are always being talked about um and also yeah the craft side of things like structure and characterization things like that i i've looked into it much more deeply as a tutor than I think I would have if it was just me writing alone yeah I think that's 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 interesting because you know often with writers it is instinctual and um it's only when the edit comes in it slaps you in the face and uh you know you realize that yeah structurally it didn't quite work or you know you've you've missed out something that the the reader needs or something like that but Mm. when you are teaching I mean I I presume with that with adult learners you're, you're talking about people perhaps who's uh command of english written english is perhaps not as developed as as uh, other people is that correct when Um, you pick them up or yeah i think when i was teaching on the adult education program we had a very diverse range of Mm. people joining some people had been writing for a long time you know i've got students who've done creative writing mas and they just oh right okay they just want to keep up or they're in the middle of a project and it's attending the classes kind of helps to motivate them to keep writing yeah 
Um, and then we had people who were picking it up for the first time. Yeah, maybe people who, who were looking to develop a skill or they tried writing in the past and, and been discouraged by English teachers or, you know, just lo lots and lots of different examples, which made it really interesting as a creative writing tutor because you never know who's going to turn up on the day and in, in terms of how, how you present things to a class where there's that full range of people. That was that was amazing. Oh, yeah. It was a really and they get to learn off each other as well, wouldn't they? Yeah. From each other and... Yes, and it, share. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. I, I, I suppose the, 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 the challenge in some ways is, is actually breaking down what's instinctual to, to, to oneself and then being able to express that clearly so that it has a, you know, a, a sort of practical way forward for, for people who, who don't feel or have that uh, instinct. Yes. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the, the group that I've got with me now who've been following along um, for the last couple of years or so, they're all what I would class as, you know, committed writers who are, um, they're either doing it for pleasure or they're trying to get published or, you know, they've got a, they've got a project in mind. And so I think we've sort of boiled down to a group of quite, quite serious writers now, which is lovely. And it feels like a really nice safe space in which to share work. I think it's difficult. It's really difficult. I know myself to share writing if, particularly if you've had a bad experience in the past with, you know, negative feedback or people not being encouraging. Um, but it feels now that we've got a lovely, lovely group of, yeah, writers who want to share and want to learn. It's really nice. It's the best part of my week. So in terms of the way that your writing has developed um, mm. and teaching and leading these groups, how much have you learned from, from those other people in terms of uh, things, you know, have you had that, that uh, acceptance and um, adapt, adaptation um as a result of, of doing the teaching um i i don't share my work as part of the classes because right i feel like that's that's not what people have that people haven't come to hear me read my stuff no okay <laughs> tell me what they think about it occasionally if we have a sharing class you know at the end of the term maybe we'll all read out a little bit of something but then that's not for critique that's just purely for the love of listening to each other yeah um but I definitely I mean I, I learn a lot from from other writers work just different styles different approaches I've taught some amazing amazingly gifted writers who would you know I give out writing prompts and we write for 10 minutes or 15 minutes and they read back their first draft and it absolutely blows me away sometimes it I, I love those um prompt writing times where yes, people are just yeah. free writing and it really feels like sort of magic in the room everyone's just got their heads down scribbling away um, and I try and join in with the writing times as well because it feels like that's the space where you know I could have some ideas as well true enough no it's, mm. it's wonderful and if you were picking out one piece of advice that you know is a is a staple of yours to your group is there anything that that you you give out as a as a regular thing because for us I, we we catch ourselves saying to our authors, "Have you read this out loud?" Yeah, that's mm. <laughs> that's a big that's, one. Isn't that's <laughs> that's the, the one where, you know, especially for submissions, yeah. read it out loud uh, because you'll see where we're thinking it's a bit clunky or it's the dialogue hasn't flowed or worked. Yeah. So, as, you know, have you got one thing that you know is your staple that you will always give out? I think well, something that I find myself saying a lot is about the rules of writing because because mm. people will say things about you know it's it's show don't tell and things like that mm. um and I try to I always try to say that I think it's more about having a tool a toolkit like a, a toolbox of writing so you know how to show when you need to show and uh, but you also know how to tell because sometimes you do need to tell and you know how to write from various different points of view and you understand um what narrative distance means and kind of zooming in and out on the character yeah and you you know just an understanding a general understanding of structure and I think these are all tools that you have in your writerly toolkit and I try to I, I just try to advise that you know there aren't don't don't worry about the rules as long as you know how to do all these things then you can decide for your piece of writing what's the best you know what tool you need and there might be some tools you never use that just end up at the bottom of the toolkit um and there are ones that you'll use all the time 
But I like that though. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's very visual, isn't it? Yeah, but I think I think that's right. I think I always say to our authors, um, or actually to many of our guests on this program, I said, you know, is there one aspect of your writing that you're trying to improve in the next book? Because there's always some, you know, everyone has a, a gift for um hopefully a few of the bits of the toolkit, but certainly you know everyone has a weakness don't they i think well someone will stand out for for, yeah for x and you know it might be the dialogue is is not as strong as the rest of the work they do so that's something to think about or their um pacing might be off or uh you know that sort of stuff or the characterization that you know they might not be as descriptive and give give people an impression of the, the people they're dealing with and they're reading about um and that they could strengthen that yes yeah, something else that's just occurred to me is speech tags, use of speech tags. You know, that's quite a contentious subject, isn't it? Yes. Do we just use he said, she said, or can we use, you know, shouted, screamed, expostulated? Well, um, where do you stand on that debate? Because it's mine number one bugbear. <laughs> yeah, this is... Be- I, because, <laughs> because Stephen King in On Writing has... Wonderful book. <laughs> it's a great book, but that one piece of advice about, you know, he said, she said, is all you need. Trust me, as a narrator... Of, of audiobooks it is the last thing you need because yes it it's for a reader in a physical copy or an ebook your eyes do skip over that he said she said no problem at all because your yes. brain just eliminates them it doesn't you know yes. if they're not there but in an audiobook they slap you in the face okay wow yeah because you know, it's quite repetitive it's isn't it? so it's a repetitive. repetitive style you so can have hundreds it. of the damn things in mm. a book and all you've got to do with an, you know, you've got a. There are no clues, um, you know. If do, I do apologise. <laughs> Is it Stephen King? <laughs> yeah, <probably>. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Stephen. Probably. <laughs> um, no, no, no. I think I think you know he's a great writer and, and and you know knows his you know his goodness knows. I mean you know one of the greats. But that advice I think is is so limiting. Uh, but at the same time, there is a balance to strike because some people throw in a bunch of adverbs and then shouted, <laughs> shouted angrily or whatever it was. Yes, might be. yeah. And it should be obvious from the dialogue, exactly. which I think is what yeah, he's trying yeah. to say. Yeah. So I, 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 I am, I'm sort of an ambivert on this subject in the sense that I can see the value of what he says, but at the same time, I don't want to be stuck with that. And, and as a narrator, there's nowhere to go with it because it is such a slap it is literally feels like a slap in the face every time you say he says she said you know repeatedly in a in a in a scene I can imagine yeah and I'm, I'm going to throw you another if there was one question um is there's one book that you uh go back to for your um for your pupils uh, and your group or for yourself which one is it in terms of uh you know its value as a as a guide to the craft Oh, there's there's lots. So there's on writing, Stephen King on writing, as you mentioned. There's Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, which is so amazing. On That's on my wish list. It's amazing. My Amazon wish list, yeah. Get it. <laughs> she also does a podcast I've just discovered this week, so I'm, oh, I'm right. working my way. It's called Magic Lessons. She's very good, isn't she? She's yeah. very sharp. Yeah. yeah. There's Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott, um, which is, again... It's not so much about the craft of writing, it's approaching writing and creativity and not being afraid, not being put off by, one. by one's own perfectionism and all the little things that we do to ourselves to stop ourselves from getting on with it. <laughs> um, it's a gentle encouragement, you know, it's an arm around the yeah. shoulder and I need that a lot. Um, there's John York Into the Woods. Yes. And we have two copies of that. <laughs> yes, yes. And The Heroes, I knew... I, I knew I yeah, I know the one the you name. mean. Yeah, not the hero's journey. Um, let's let's talk about future projects, April. Yeah, um, what are you working on now? Um, well, I've got a book that's out um, with agents at the minute, which is a rom com. I changed direction because so many agents said to me how how it was quite depressing the book I'd written, um, and they didn't think people were going to want to read it. Um, but anyway, I did I did keep going with the submission and here we go, you know, it's out anyway. Yeah, what do they know? Um, <laughs> well, I, I mean, there's always there seems to be quite a market for dystopian yeah. books. So um so yeah, but I slightly changed direction or so. I've written a rom com um about two romantic novelists. Um and now I'm just I'm just starting another rom com because it is it is 
more fun to write. I have to say that after writing Hive, I, I'm, I'm so aware of the bees and climate change. I mean, we all are, aren't we? Because it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a thing, it's happening now. But I think, I think Hive has made me more aware. Yeah. So I think I'm just going to give myself a little break with a couple of rom-coms and then we'll see if, if another dystopian idea comes along. <laughs> we, we ought to, we ought to um, get to the, the real the highlight of any interview uh, with the podcast, which of course is I the point where I go that. very deep and you say something <laughs> bizarre. So I'm here racing. we go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good luck, April. Good luck. It's you know it's been lovely speaking to you. Um, <laughs> but you. Our, 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 it's not that bad. Our friendship may be over after this. Here we go. It's honestly, it's not that bad. All right, you say that. We'll, we'll be the judge. We'll be the judge. Rebecca's random question. Um, as always, these questions come to me randomly, and this one came to me while I was lying in bed this morning, watching Neighbours, interestingly enough, but it's not about Neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to know, which is your favourite fairy tale and why? Oh my goodness, I know the answer to this one. Brilliant. It's The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. Right. Uh, not the Disney version, the original, no. yeah, the original um, kind of it's quite dark and dystopian isn't it as a it is tale. it is yeah why i don't know i maybe i liked it because it didn't have a happy ending yeah yeah it wasn't a traditional pattern of yeah yeah but that doesn't make me sound too disturbed because but I, you I think just... about it a lot of them were i mean yeah. especially hans christian anderson ones they were a bit yeah, or dystopian the, or and disturbing grim's fairy tales i mean they they you know someone always suffered in those i mean they're, mm. they're quite dark it's like doctor who you know it's pretty dark but at the end they kind of resolve it reasonably happily yeah so yes. i think the word the, the term fairy tale is a bit misleading actually because there's a lot of darkness in them there's a lot of darkness and grizzliness no, that's a good one do you have one do i have one um yeah i guess uh, i guess i've always loved the three little pigs pigs you know i've i've you know i don't know what it is about that um Mm. or little red riding is quite fun yeah it's a good one i think mine was hansel and gretel oh yeah oh the house the edible house yes yeah isn't it Mm. yeah i think anything involving food is uh (laughs) is up there i mean that speaks to me so so this this whole idea of children wanting happy stories no no I, i i i think it's you know, I think that their appetite for fear is huge, mm. and for Jeopardy, I mean, they love it. They love they, Jeopardy. They yeah. love. I mean, you know, the, you know, as child of the seventies, watching Tom Baker's Doctor Who, which was really gothic in the first three seasons, really, really gothic. Watch, I still can't watch Doctor Who because of Tom Baker and the Daleks. Yeah, same here. I, I used to hide behind the sofa. Mm. It's. I mean, they took it to places which are. Yeah. Uh, you know that you, you would have to be after the watershed now. Um, in the, in terms of the level of malevolence, uh, dystopia, death, um, all sorts, and thematically, I mean, was... there, there are other qualms that people now have because you had um, Anglo actors doing Chinese characters in Talents of Wang Chiang and things like that, which would be completely unacceptable nowadays, but mm. um, and should have been unacceptable then. Let's be honest, but uh, nonetheless. Uh, yeah, I still get a frisson, even though I know what's going to happen. But it seems like the eyes of these things, like Tom Baker did have quite spooky eyes oh, yeah. himself. But I remember that everyone remembers this the one with the train. The train, where yes. he gets his foot stuck. Yes. Gives me the EBG. That's the deadly eye. assassin. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm showing my geekiness now. There's, there was a scene in that where Tom Baker, this is this is Mary Whitehouse, um, had her complaints upheld, I think. Oh, really? Where, there's a bit where Tom Baker is being drowned in that um, in a battle with the master and, you know, some sort of avatar for the master. And he's, he gets his head pushed under the water and, and this guy says, you know, die, doctor, die. And, um, you know, it's all the things the producer's guidelines don't let you do anymore pre-watershed it's all there at 5 25 on a saturday afternoon i mean it's well do you know i'm glad we've had this conversation because i think i must have repressed a lot of this i just remember feeling quite traumatized by doctor who with tom mm. baker and i i watched it and sort of yeah not i mean i, I wasn't too scared to watch it because i watched it but then afterwards it was yeah not good no and, and i i still can't watch it and i'm sure it's not as scary now after what <laughs> oh, no, it's i mean it's <laughs> I mean, there's an awful lot of humour, and he brought brought so much to the role. But um, the fact is that he is a uh, he is quite mad, and 
that's what made him so good as a doctor because he was alien yeah. and you know he he doesn't fit into british you know society. it just doesn't fit into human society as a person because he, he's so outrageous mm. in his approach to life um devil may care it made him a great doctor he was mm. just being himself he was, yeah yeah he was the best in my opinion still the best yeah totally oh, totally you're yeah. gonna get letters i, I actually have a tom baker scarf <laughs> did you knit it yourself no i bought it from the doctor who uh, oh an actual official one. Oh, yeah wow. <laughs> it wasn't cheap but i had to have it i love it do, do you know the story of how that scarf came to be uh i bought it in the doctor who no 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 not that one. <laughs> <laughs> no the original the original scarf they apparently took um an enormous amount of wool to a lady in uh i think she was in chiswick and asked us in this a scarf and they said, well, you know, we want a reasonably long scarf. Anyway, she used all the wool. <laughs> so it came out being over 17 foot long. Oh, my um, goodness. And as a result of it being 17 foot long, uh, it would get snagged all the time and gradually it got reduced to about 13 feet long because about four feet of it got snagged on bits of set or rocks and Dartmoor or whatever else. And they had to cut bits off because it got shredded. Yeah. And so it gradually got short and then they had to do another scarf. At the latest. But there was just her misunderstanding that... They, you know, they've given her all these ty- different types to of choose wool from, yes. to, to, to create a multicolored yeah. scarf that's used absolutely everywhere. I love of, that. I've everything. never heard that story. I love that. Yeah. So that's how, how long that, is that. your how long is your official uh, Doctor Who scarf? Is it seventeen feet? We'll long? have to measure it, won't we? It must but be, it, it must sort be, of wraps around about four or five times and then must drags. Be good eight so. or nine feet, I would think. And I do that's actually amazing. wear it in public. I do. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> And I've always wanted a Tom Baker fedora, so um, that's well. My... We have a sort of one because my boys they've dressed up as Tom Baker mm. in the past with a brown jacket, the, my scarf, and then the, the hat. Yeah, I um, wish I had his voice. That's the only thing I, I, I you know. <laughs> ah, yes. You do have the hair. Voice. The hair was fantastic. The hair, everything. Yeah, he was lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he still is lovely. Yeah, totally mad. And the old the old boy's still going at eighty eight, and he lives in Kent too. Oh, does he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. To look there out you for him. Right. Your neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> well, April, look, it's been an absolute joy to speak to you. Thank you so much. I think there's so I bet much... you didn't think we'd talk about Doctor Who, did you? It wasn't on my list, but I'm <laughs> I'm glad we had that conversation. I'm feeling a bit better. It's been like therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, good luck with the, the, the books in with agents or the book with agents and, yeah. and, 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 and its follow-up. And um that, that sounds like a really good concept, but uh, it's been an absolute joy. And I think that um as ever with any of our interviews, we always get something, but there's so much depth to what we all of our listeners will get from from this so thank you so much for your time thank you thank you it's been brilliant thanks ever so much really enjoyed that interview me too i enjoy them all any chance to be michael kane (laughs) i'll take it you know i wonder what the percentage of appearances of michael kane are in the 83 podcast uh probably about a dozen what's that 12 so that's what uh what's the percentage then that was the question oh goodness me don't ask me Jesus, I haven't got that sort of man. Where's Toby when you need it? <laughs> never mind, never mind. Well, look, we've got um, we've got an exciting couple of weeks ahead for us because we're taking a, a break. We're not actually stopping work. That's not the case, but we're going on holiday. We're taking the work to Wales is what he's trying to say. To start with for our first bit, <laughs> and then we're off to Devon after that with the wide, your wider family or our wider family. I don't know how to describe it. Any, our, the boys, well, three boys. Well, not very wide, so my immediate. Yeah, the, bar- the barn is moving apart from the cat. Uh, to Devon uh, at the end of next week. Uh, yeah, yeah, so we're, we, we're coming. So yeah. we're off to Wales briefly. What we're going to do with that time, well, I mean, a number of things, but uh, we're going to spend a lot of time basically looking out for the next six to 12 months of what we're going to do. Yes, and then we're going to paddle and eat chips on the beach. Yeah, in that order. <laughs> so that'll be, that'll be great. That'll be fun. Uh, we've also got a busy August ahead. So we'll be, you know, working towards the release of three more Hobbit books. I know. We've got a very busy August. I can't believe it's swanning off to the seaside. So we have two books publishing on 23rd of August. The wonderful Her Deadly Friend by Ray Sargent. Yeah. Now, Ray Sargent is an experienced writer of psychological fiction under her other name, Rachel Sargent. So this is, you know, it's a little bit of a departure for her, but there's a lot of psychological thriller in this book, isn't there? Yeah, so. yeah there is gets into the minds of the the main characters. Yes, terrific. Yeah. Um, and of course the other one is a second book in the Zamet series, Bullets in the Sand. Bullets in the Sand, yeah. The first one, Bodies in the Water. 
doing really well. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, they had a lovely, wonderful blog tour Did, again. Yeah. Um, a lot of people never, obviously, never um, come across. Um, A.G. Aberford before, but firm fans now saying, can't wait for the next one, can't wait for the next well, one. Well, so. you don't have to wait long for the third one as well, so that's coming out in <laughs> And September. in fact, my dad read Bodies in the Water. Oh, did he? No, so my dad picks and chooses various Hobet books to read, and he always gives me very constructive feedback. He'll say what he likes, he'll say what he wasn't sure about, and he'll say what he doesn't like. He really liked Bodies in the Water. Yeah, I love it, I love it. I love it. Well, I love them all, but, uh, you know, uh, Her Deadly Friend's great and, you know, all the ones that we've released re- recently. I mean, every book that we've put out, I love. Um, and the third of the our third, August so releases. Right at the end of August, just at the bank holiday weekend, mm-hmm. we have Cousin Ash, which is the second in the Sandlin PI series. By S.E. Shepherd. Yeah, so uh, a lovely book. The cover is beautiful. Oh, it's a, bel- a belter. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is one of Jane's tour de force designs uh jane map so thank you for that no you, if you haven't seen the cover just check it out and it's, it's on the website it's on the website it's a beauty it really is they're all great um but so august remains busy we're going to be busy you know running up to the end of november really we, we we're not going to release books in in december apart well, from our christmas special. yeah so we we should give a bit of news about that very soon because we've got a yeah. great idea Mm-hmm. And in fact, we need to get our authors working on that. Absolutely. And you, you're not getting away with it, you know. I know. I have to come up with a recipe. I'm going to experiment <laughs> today. Listen, we um, we ought to uh, get to the get to the question we we're going to ask. Yeah. So. Um, and the prize, first of all, to to mention what that is, is not, we'll give you a free download code for the first ten people to answer this question, and this will be a download code for the audiobook of Throttled, which is the number two novel in the Quirk Files by A.B. Morgan. Yeah, so if you didn't quite get there with Verity Vanishes, we had a lot of oh entries. Oh, my word, we were swamped. It was quite funny because I, I was sat at the computer and my phone, um, I don't normally have the volume on, but the volume was on because I was waiting for you to message me. And it was going ping, ping, ping constantly to the extent I turned it off and hid it. There <laughs> was so much but it was lovely talking to people even the ones who hadn't quite got yeah, the first top know, 10 you, yeah it was lovely it was yeah, lovely. yeah so so we thought we'd do another one but this time we wanted to do it on the podcast okay so i my the inbox doesn't get okay flooded <laughs> well not quite so much so what we'd like you to do is answer this question and email hobeckbooks at gmail.com with the answer and the first 10 will get a free download of throttled and the question is in throttled Pedder is trying not to swear, and he finds lots of alternative words to use instead, which a lot of people do, don't they? One such word that he uses is bumalo, B-U-M-M-A-L-O, bumalo. But what is a bumalo? Sounds incredibly rude. Just remind me of that email address when people know what a bumalo is. So email hobeckbooks at gmail.com. Okay, wonderful. Well, that's an opportunity to get a free audiobook of Throttled, narrated by Alison Morgan herself. And she's done a terrific job on the series. Really, really good. So congratulations to her. She did work very hard, didn't she, to get it all? Absolutely. And uh, Verity Vanishes came out last week, uh, doing really well. So check that out as well. And all of our Hoback authors and books, well, you can buy them all in paperback form from our website, www.hobeck.com. Dot net at a discount you can get audiobooks there as a discount as well if you don't win uh, so check out that we've got uh, coming up for a dozen titles now yeah in audio well the paperback said there's just no postage and packaging for the uk that's the uh... that's the other advantage so yeah. uh, do please consider visiting us there and finding out all about our authors and our books and all of our plans uh, which will be significantly changed, I think, once we've had our chance to brainstorm for three days in a caravan. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is we're going to be doing while it rains. I know you looked at the weather for, for Borth, where we're going, the Mid-Wales, for uh, two nights, three days, and it is a 100% chance of rain on every single day. Yes, and, and I've I've been there many times as a boy, so give a, a bit of context. My my dad and my stepmom own a caravan in Borth, mm-hmm. so we're allowed to use it any time it's free. And... Um, I've spent many a wet week there with three energetic children. Yeah, well, they're they're not with us this time. Probably a good thing, but they're with us in Devon uh, when we go off to uh, North Devon. 
uh, on Friday. So uh, this coming Friday, we're looking forward to that trip enormously. Well, uh, it's been a trip on this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on the Hobcast Book Show. We ought to mention that we are working on the content for next week. It's going to have a Welsh theme. And we have a bid in for a particular author yeah. that we're really keen to speak to. But uh, have no fear. The podcast will be back next week, as usual. And so it remains for me to say, I'm Adrian Hobart. I'm Rebecca Collins. And we would like to thank you for joining us on the Hobcast Book Show. Please don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts from. It means a great deal to us. But from me, Adrian Hobart, as I've already mentioned, <laughs> and for you, Rebecca Collins, as you've already mentioned. And Aki the cat, who's asleep upstairs. And Aki the cat. Uh, thank you for joining us and have a wonderful, uh, I'm going to say something in a moment, and creative week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Indie Spirit.